Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. On this episode of On the Verge, we're going to talk about the promotion of Kyle Bradis from AA Bowie to AAA Norfolk um, and its impact on the system as well as some of the other pitchers that we could see move up. Uh, in addition, we're going to get into the continuing hot start of Jordan Westberg at Delmarva and ask whether or not he's going to be at that level much longer. Uh, we'll have that and more on tonight's episode, but first... On the Verge is brought to you courtesy of Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Mercer is a third-generation family business that was established in 1959 and is located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster, Maryland. For all of your flooring needs, think Mercer. So the big story since the last time we were on the air was the promotion of Kyle Bradis. After a hot start at AA Bowie, uh, Bradis was promoted to AAA Norfolk and made his first start last night. Uh, putting together four decent innings against the Charlotte Knights in his AAA debut. Um, so I'm going to start with Nick here. What was your impression of Bradis last night and his promotion from Bowie? I think just overall the promotion, I was not expecting it. I was driving down Richmond to go watch Bowie, and uh, I saw a guy out of the car that he had been... Um, issues on yeah. Nick's end, so um, we'll give him a minute to clear that up. But uh, Bob, what was your impression of Bradis? Yeah, I think I wasn't sure if I was the only one that was losing Nick on the audio there. But, um, yeah, I agree with him. I was surprised. It kind of caught me off guard when I saw that announcement because, you know, Elias is pretty conservative when it comes to where he's been placing guys and how quickly he's promoting them. But uh, I I took it as a sign of, you know, that how high they are on him, that he is getting that call up so quickly. Uh, he leads the minor league or led the minor leagues at 50% strikeout rate which is pretty amazing. Um, and he, who would have thought he would have got the AAA before D.L. Hall, but clearly he was overpowering AA hitters. And his first start wasn't amazing, wasn't great, but you saw the stuff. You saw him missing bats. He has that great curveball. Slider wasn't really locating it last night, but it's there. And then the fastball, mid-90s, it's, it's a good recipe. Hopefully he makes it to um, Baltimore before the end of the season. Yeah, just give some background on Braddis. Um, in three starts at Bowie, he pitched 13 and two-thirds scoreless innings with 26 strikeouts compared to five walks. Um, in his debut with Norfolk on Tuesday, he went three and a third innings, allowing two runs, both of which were earned. Three walks and four strikeouts. There was one inning where he gave up two runs, and it was a bit of a tough luck inning. Two-out double, um, legitimate base hit there, the opposite field. But then that was followed by an infield single. 
where the runner advanced to third, and then a ground ball that chopped over the first baseman's head landed into the shallow outfield. So, you know, Braddis was not at his sharpest with his control last night, like you said, but a little bit of tough luck there with the uh, third inning where Sarlacc got a couple of runs off of him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He That was definitely uh, hit into some bad luck there, but he's on the Orioles, so that should be expected to happen. He's, as you get closer to the majors, that happens more and more, apparently. So, yeah. I, I liked what I saw. He wasn't at his best, I wouldn't say, but you saw the potential. He he at least, you know, he got three and two-thirds innings, I think it was. So I'm happy. I, I'll, can, I'll be happy to watch him the rest of the season, and hopefully, you know, he just gets more comfortable at AAA. And, you know, the hitters at AAA are probably better at failing off, making him work a little bit harder. It's a good learning experience for him. So I'm excited to watch it. Yeah, that is a good point. You know, it seemed like Charlotte's hitters last night were fouling off a lot of tough pitches, and that was certainly uh, making for some long at-bats for Braddis. So Nick has now rejoined us. Um, Nick, I'm just going to let you pick back up your thoughts on Braddis um, and his AAA debut. Yeah, I don't know what happened there. Everybody disappeared. Uh, so I'm not sure what you guys said, but uh, for me, I guess just last night, I'm sure you guys covered a lot of this already, but I enjoyed the outing. Uh, it wasn't great, but it wasn't bad at all either. Uh, I think in the very beginning, we saw him miss high a lot. Uh, and then I think maybe tried to overcorrect things a little bit too much. Uh, and so left some pitches over the plate, got hit a little bit hard. But I think overall, it was a solid outing to build off of. Again, he only has a handful of starts in his professional career, and he's already at the AAA level. And I wrote this at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com this week. We'll talk about this a little bit more later probably, but I talked about Kyle Bradish a little bit and said, the reason I'm so excited about Bradish and this move is that this organization has already shown everybody. They've proven that you're not going to move up to the next level until you've mastered the level you're at. And they're saying Michael Bauman mastered double A and three starts. Like that's, that gets me more excited. And that means that they view him as a, leg- a legitimate major league starter at this point. So can't be mad at all. Um, I heard you guys at, there at the end talking about Charlotte's lineup. It's a veteran lineup. A lot of former major leaguers. I think first baseman Tim Beckham now is on <laughs> that Charlotte roster. Uh, I don't know what all these former Orioles shortstops, second baseman are doing at first base now. Jonathan Scope and everybody. But, yeah, it, it's a veteran lineup. So I think it was uh, pretty good. A lot to build off of there. Yeah, so Brad is really um, kind of setting what we're hoping is setting the tone for – a lot of pitchers to start moving their way up here soon. And um, Michael Elias, um, in an unusually contrite quote, by which I mean it was almost half contrite, um, <laughs> kind of uh, hinted that we could be seeing some more promotions uh, today. And Nick has that VSD Molesky at Masson. Yeah, a lot of, I think, real candid conversation today from Michael Elias overall about the state of the Major League roster and this franchise in general and what it's like being a fan. Uh, you know, he watches these games also. So I know a lot of fans probably didn't want to hear a lot of that discussion, but one of the earlier quotes from Steve Molesky put out there that uh, Elias was asked about movie prospects quickly on the farm. And his quote was, we've seen Kyle Bradish promoted already, and we may be doing some more big name moves in the next week or two. So eyeball emoji there. <laughs> yeah, it's exciting. We need to get these guys on the move. Well, and I think the name that everyone is wondering about is Grayson Rodriguez. I know that there were a lot of people surprised to see Rodriguez um, starting the year off at high A Aberdeen, even though age-wise it's actually an appropriate level for him. But 
He had been so dominant at Delmarva in 2019. Good reports out of the summer camp last year. Uh, despite that, he starts this year at Aberdeen. He's been dominant there through four starts. When I saw Elias's quote, that was the first name that popped into my head is, when do we see Grayson Rodriguez and Bowie? Because at this rate, um, he's going to probably, you know, pitch his way out of high A uh, in a successful manner. I mean, Sunday has to be announced on the Bowie rotation, so maybe it'll be this week. No, but I think I think Grayson's scheduled to start maybe tomorrow. But um, for Aberdeen, I would expect he's got to be one of the first guys. He's more than dominating uh, short – or, God, I remember it short A Aberdeen. High A Aberdeen uh, with, the tw- I think it was 23.8 swinging strike percentage. I tweeted it out. It was on the Prospects Live uh, podcast, which is better than Jacob deGrom and degrees better than pretty much anyone right now. So he's just utterly dominating Aberdeen, and I don't see what he's really getting anymore. So I think he needs to be challenged to move up to double-A very soon. Yeah, he is still, I think it was like a year or two younger than a lot of that competition in high A. Uh, but this guy seems to be on another level. It's 18 innings, a 1.47 ERA, a .71 whip, 141 average against almost a 44% strikeout rate and a 5% walk rate. I mean, those dominant numbers. And and John Mioli's he does his pieces every Monday where he kind of does like a minor league reset, looks at some of the top contributors around the farm system. And he said that he got that text from a scout who was at Grayson Rodriguez's last start. And it was just one word unhittable. And I don't think there are any other words we can use to describe Grayson Rodriguez right now. Um, he really does look unhittable. Uh, he's out there tweeting, sharing sharing our videos of uh, Kyle Bradish in that masterful performance he had at Double A Bowie, saying, "You know, know this guy's name." Well, I think the rest of the world needs to know Grayson Rodriguez's name because, you know, like that Prospects Live clip you posted, and I went back and listened to that episode, and, and they're talking about is they, they posed the question: Is Grayson Rodriguez the top pitching prospect in all of baseball right now? And, and I think ahead of him, you only have a few names like Mackenzie Gore, who was looked really bad, honestly, until his last start. Matt Manning, Sixto Sanchez. And that's pretty much it. Uh, not too many guys. Nate Pearson, I think, is above him. Um, I think that's a, a legitimate conversation. I don't know. I can't answer, honestly, not having watched those yeah. guys uh, a lot. But I, Grayson Rodriguez is here. Uh, I mean, Jim Callis said we, he's the most one of the most underrated pitching prospects there is, and he's one of the top prospects in all of baseball. So. I don't. I see maybe one, maybe maybe two starts at max, but I want to see most of all because I, I, Orioles fans are sad and, and angry. I don't know if we're still angry, but I know we're sad. So I want to see DL Hall and Grayson Rodriguez and Adley Rutschman all in a Bowie Bay Sox uniform for a couple weeks, and I give us a little taste of what the future is going to be like. Yeah, I want all three of them at one level at some point this year, whether that's Bowie or, you know, if it would happen to work out that it's Norfolk, though, I doubt that. But if they're all three in Bowie for even three weeks, I will take that because that's, as you said, about the best glimpse of the future you could have. Yeah, and let it be for Father's Day because that's when I'm going to Bowie. So (laughs) come on. Yeah, I, I'm sure uh, Bowie, if anybody's listening from Bowie, I'm sure they are also smiling. So yeah, let's, let's bring that on too. Um, but yeah, I think that you can like underestimate what it means for these guys to win together in the minor leagues. And if you had these three guys working together, and we've seen that has had, uh, you know, Bob was the first one to point the first of the year, how the player after each inning runs out there to grease here. And I saw that when I was in Richmond watching Bowie. It's every single inning he essentially sprints to the pitcher's mouth 
and he walks these guys uh, arm around their backs most of the time, talking to them all the way back into the dugout. That's leadership. Uh, and so if you can get all three of these guys on the same roster, at least for a couple of weeks, I think it's going to be huge for, for these guys. Yeah, so Nick, uh, you actually saw quite a bit of Bowie um, over the weekend, saw a couple of games. You actually just wrote about Bowie's pitching staff. And um, this kind of ties into our conversation right now because I think there's a few names on there that could move up. But before we pivot back to that discussion, um, just kind of give us a sense of what you saw from the Bay Sox and um, some of the things you talked about in your article. I think just the trip in general, uh, I mean, this isn't Orioles related, but I saw some slander on the timeline about the diamond and I'm not going to have that. It's, it's old, uh, but it has its charm. And I mean, nowhere else you can go drink a 32 ounce Hardywood craft beer for like $9. So I'll take that. Um, Yeah, it was not a whole lot of offense. I was there Saturday and Sunday. I think they had other than Adley Rutschman's 440 something foot home run that I went searching for in the parking lot as I left. I'm not gonna lie, Uh, didn't see it anywhere. Um, It's other than that, there really wasn't a whole lot of offense. Honestly, the biggest offensive performer was Doran Turchin. I mean, that's a name I don't think we've ever said on this podcast before, but. He had a couple really good clean hits, and he's been hot since he got moved up to Bowie. Uh, we'll see how long that lasts. But um, DL Hall looked really dominant. Uh, that was the big thing that I enjoyed watching on Saturday, and I wrote about that uh, at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. That we saw the last outing against Reading, where he didn't make it out of the, well. I think he went back out there for the third inning, but I don't think he made it three full innings. Couple walks, a lot of big hits, a lot of runs. Uh, it, it was not a good outing, but I think the strike zone had a lot to do with that. And I wanted to see him come out in this next start, what he would do. And he was flat out dominant in that outing. Eight strikeouts, four innings. Um, he was in cruise control. Guys are not hitting the ball hard with him at all down there. So it was a fun trip. I wish I would have saw more offense, but I saw the Adley Rutschman home run. So got my money's worth. Yeah, it's great to see Hall bounce back. You know, that just shows that he really has his head in the game and he he's not letting it get to him. And I was looking at, at I know – how Orioles fans are. And Adley Rutschman, you know, he's got a batting average in the two thirties or whatever. So I already heard some people saying he's got to, he's got to do better. He's got to do better. Well, he's got a great walk percentage. He's got great ISO. His balls, batting average for balls in play is only like 268. So clearly he's, he's not hitting into the best luck either. So not too, not too worried about him, but it was, it was great to see. Sounded like you had a great weekend. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about Rutsman either. All the everything offensively is going to come around at some point, and as some of those numbers that Bob pointed out are really good, I wouldn't worry too much about the batting average. Um, one thing I really like about DL Hall this season, and I I don't know if this is sustainable, but he's got a fifty six percent ground ball rate, um, and that kind of shows to me that he's finding ways to get people out without just trying to blow the ball by them. Because just to give a comparison. His ground ball percentage at Frederick, his last full season in 2019, was just above 35%. Now, I don't know that the ground ball percentage increase of 15% actually is going to sustain itself over a full season. Probably not. But I think that it could increase enough that you're seeing a little bit of an improvement there. And it hasn't come as a sacrifice of velocity because Hall is hitting upper 90s every start. Yeah, I'm not sure how quickly that stat stabilizes. But um, definitely encouraging. I mean, maybe it's just he's being able to locate more lower in the zone. I'm not sure, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I'm curious, too. With that last outing, I mean, there were a lot of guys just standing there watching these balls go by in two strike counts. 
So I'm wondering if like how much movement is DL Hall really putting on these pitches? Uh, so it's just, it's avoiding the barrel at all costs there and guys are grinding out weekly. Uh, and I think in that Reading outing is one kind of rough outing of the year. Uh, I remember Adam Pohl you know, broadcasting and saying that it's, it sounded like he was throwing a lot more changeups and off-speed pitches. He was going to his secondaries a whole lot more. And so maybe that had something to do with it as well. We see him working that in more. And I, I saw a lot of that in Richmond. Um, you know, I, I was kind of sitting up high. I was there just to be back in the ballpark, just for fun, to be totally honest. So I didn't really like, get a great look at his pitches and everything. Uh, but there was a lot of off-speed stuff, a lot of breaking stuff, not a lot of hard contact. So maybe he's learning how to control that as well. And if that's the case, then yeah, 56% might not be sustainable, but he's never given up a lot of home runs across his career. So that's another positive you can point to. Yeah, it's, that's a good point. And tying back uh, to your piece about Bowie, one of the names that kind of has come to mind for me as someone who could be promoted is Kevin Smith. The walks are a little high right now, but the other numbers are pretty good. And this is someone who was successful um, when he was in double A a couple of years ago. He got a brief taste there at the end of the season when he was still in the Mets system. Um, if we're looking at this Norfolk pitching staff, which is really struggling, not offering a lot of reinforcements to the major league roster, which is also struggling. Could a guy like Smith benefit from that? Uh, yeah, I, th- I was. I think all of us had Kevin Smith pretty pegged for the AAA rotation uh, at this point to begin the year. And But you go back and look, and, and I mentioned in the piece that he only has around 130 professional innings before he joined the Orioles. So I don't... I, get why he's in double a you probably tweak some things with his delivery or mechanics and so now you want him to work through that and get a little bit more experience in double a before moving him up so i could definitely see him moving up soon um i think now if you look at a norfolk rotation with michael bauman healthy in a couple of weeks uh kyle bradish kevin smith hopefully alex wells is looking better and better a uh, little bit a little bit by little bit um, hopefully Zach Lauther figures it out. Then I think Norfolk has a much better rotation. And then now by the end of the year, we're looking at a big group of potentially starting pitching prospects to help the Orioles out. Um, I was even thinking of Felky Peralta as well as a possible guy that can move up soon since he's been around the system for 15 years. It feels like for a long time, but he's also been pitching pretty well. I think we could get rid of about 70% of the Norfolk uh, roster and then just, do some mass promoting because I think a lot of the guys double A and under are like just raring to go, ready to get promoted and, and show what they got while triple A is kind of no man's land right now. A few guys there, but. Yeah. So um, Nick was not the only one that has seen live minor league action recently. Bob did it out to Aberdeen last week after we recorded our show. Um, I know Bob's planning to go to the iron birds uh, quite a bit this year. It sounds like, but um, so but I'll just start with your first trip here, Bob. What was your impression of the Ironbirds? Yeah, I'm going to try to go as much as I can. Hope we'll see. Hopefully I can get out there. But my first impression was I can't believe they got rid of the dirt in the infield and they turned it into a brown-colored turf. That was surprising to me. Looks kind of weird. But uh, I guess cleaner hops for the infielders. And I was tried to plan it so that Grayson Rodriguez was starting and I could see that dominance. But instead I got the fifth starter, Blaine Knight, which I wasn't too excited about but i was curious to see you know what he's done since his uh less than stellar 2019 season repeating high a and i was pleasantly surprised you know he didn't have the greatest results it was his worst start of the year by far gave up a lot of weak contact one home run but he was hitting 92 94 on the fastball and he sustained it all the way through the fifth inning i made sure i sat right in front of the uh radar gun there 
And uh, his slider looked great. He was throwing his curveball for strikes. So maybe he can get back on track. I'm not sure. Uh, Kyle Stowers looks good at the plate. I thought he put a lot of good swings on the ball. It's proven by the fact that he almost hit 500 for the week. But uh, he was just missed two home runs. One was just failing. One was on the warning track, opposite field side. So glad to see him get back on track. Nice to see Joey Ortiz. Definitely balked up since the last time I've seen him. Definitely muscling up a little bit there and hitting the ball with more authority. But it was just fun to, to get to the ballpark, like you said. And I moved around the stadium to try to get different angles, try to put a couple videos out on, on Twitter. And uh, then I finally found myself sitting behind someone that had the stat cast data. So I got to see Toby Welk hit a 100-mile-an-hour fly ball to the morning track. And I should have been sitting there the whole time. But it is what it is. <laughs> Yeah, so Kyle Stowers actually made your uh, most recent piece on BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com being on fire in your Down on the Farm report this week. Um, this has really been a promising start for a guy that I, I think got buried a little bit by the circumstances of last year. We had some expectations for, for him coming out of Stanford out of the 2019 draft, but the start that he's been off to at Aberdeen is impressive. Certainly. And and even beyond just, I mean, I had him just off my top 30 list going into the season, but there's a lot of guys on that Aberdeen team that are like borderline could work their way into our top 30, but he just stands out. He stands out in a, in a positive way. I think it's just a matter of time before he puts it all together. If he hasn't already. Yeah. I like the walks with Stowers. I mean, he, he's hitting 286, which is respectable. Only two on runs so far. Uh, but he has 18 walks, so good for a 452 on base percentage. I mean, that's huge. He does have 22 strikeouts, but we've said before, I think when we talked about Stowers, he's got that huge, massive power swing. He's going to strike out a lot, but if he can also sit there and, and walk almost just as much and be a high strikeout guy, uh, I think that's going to be huge for him, uh, definitely. Yeah, that whole Aberdeen roster is just – I feel like most – of looking at the roster, going back to this roster right now, I think most guys on this list – are guys we have questions about. They're, they're fringy guys. They're fringy top 30 guys. They're fringy prospects like an Adam Hall type, Johnny Riser types. And I think these guys got a lot to prove. I think a lot of these guys probably have chips on their shoulders and they have some massive talent coming up behind them in Delmarva. You know they know that. Uh, so, yeah, I think Aberdeen, I think, is the place, secretly the place to go this year to watch Orioles minor league baseball uh, for some some under-the-radar type prospect action. Yeah, and I think that even if you know we do see Grayson Rodriguez promoted sometime soon, that's still going to be true because Drew Rahm is off to a good start there. Adam Hall, who Nick just mentioned, was terrible for about the first uh, week, 10 days of the season, and was good last week, so hopefully that is a sign of a turnaround. Joey Ortiz is off to a good start, um, as we've talked about in our last couple of shows, and Kyle Stowers is off to a good start as well. So Aberdeen has some talent, even if it's not, you know, that top tier of the farm system like we see in Bowie and Delmarva. And Maverick yeah. Hanley, Maverick Hanley leads the team in stolen bases, a roster with, with uh, Adam Hall and uh, Zach Watson. So I'm just saying, or else need catching help. <laughs> Love to get speed from your catchers. And uh, Adam Hall went two for two with two walks and hit by pitch yesterday. So coming on strong here. Um, I'm here for the Adam Hall renaissance. So this has actually been a good showing so far for the um, 20s in our prospect list, or at least the very beginning of our 20s, because we had Kyle Bradis, uh 20th on our list to be in back in January when we updated it, and Kyle Stowers came in 21st. So a good showing so far for those two guys. 
yeah, I think at least Bradish could definitely find himself up up a lot higher by the time we do our next update. Yeah, we're a few months out from that, um, but certainly those are names to watch if you want to go back to our list, which we published in January, and look at a couple of risers there. Those are two names that stand out. Um, moving down, the, uh, or I should say up the list, is a player that we had high on there, and that is off to a good start so far, and that is Jordan Westberg. Uh, Westberg has been hitting the ball really well at Delmarva, moving around the infield a little bit. And, you know, from the little bit I have seen, has actually looked pretty good at third base, which is speculated as potentially being his uh, long-term position uh, in the professional level after a decent college career at shortstop. Um, if you go on the BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com message board, there's been a lot of discussion about Westbrook and whether or not the Orioles are slow pushing. For right now, I would say no, but if they're slow pushing by having him in Delmarva, for right now, I would say no, just because these players had such a long layoff after last year. But at the rate that Westberg is going, I feel like we're not too far from the point where keeping him in Delmarva is slow pushing a little bit. But, um, Nick, I'll start with you. What are your thoughts on that? I liked him at Delmarva definitely to start off. Just like we mentioned, having the opportunity to watch D.L. Hall, Grace Rodriguez, Adley Rutschman win together in Bowie. I like having Jordan Westberg, Servideo, Gunnar Henderson, Hudson Haskin, who's off to it. Like, he's on a 10-game hitting streak right now. He is off the charts after a slow start. Uh, I like watching these young draft picks work together and win. And something else with that Delmarva roster, too, that I think it's overlooked, a positional group that we don't really talk about at all, is the pitching staff of Delmarva, is a lot of UDFAs. I mean, that's guys like Shane Davis, Ryan Watson. Uh, these guys are, 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 you know, guys we're not talking about on this podcast. Guys really know what it's talking about, but they're holding their own. They're learning to win. But Jordan Westbrook now, after reading that article in Fangraphs, he had that interview uh, where he talked about hitting. I thought that was a good piece, a good look into his mind. Um, Westbrook seems like a very advanced hitter. He is an SEC guy. This is why Michael Elias targets those up-the-middle SEC bats. I, I think it was good to start him at Delmarva because I don't think people understand that that alt site is not a replacement for real minor league baseball at all. And they're showing that already this year. So I have no problem with slow pushing these guys to start with. But when Michael I says we're going to be making some moves here in the next couple of days, a couple of weeks, I think Jordan Westbrook has to be one of those names just because, I mean, he's raking down there. He had what, eight, nine straight games with two hits. I mean, you don't do that. This guy, he gets on base. He hits the ball hard. He hits the ball. Well, he's a smart hitter. So I think, they're going to have to find playing time somewhere for him up in Aberdeen. And I don't even think he's going to be in Aberdeen too long, to be totally honest, when they finally make that move. Yeah, I agree. He's got to be – him and Grayson are, like, the top two that they just have to move up. Like, of course, uh, Delmarva's offense is so disgusting right now that uh, Henderson, Servideo, and Westberg all go 0 for 4 yesterday, and they still put up, like, nine runs. So that was pretty awesome. But, uh, yeah, Westberg, he'll be up. I think him and Gunner might both go up at the same time. I think it's a matter of – finding the room for them in Aberdeen. Like if Joey Ortiz, is he ready to move up to Bowie? He's definitely probably be better than Caden Grenier. But um, yeah, I, I just don't know. I think I think I definitely understand why they started him in Delmarva, but definitely it, I keep saying definitely, but uh, <laughs> Westberg will be going up first. If not together, I could see Gunner sticking around to like mid season where he can make a, I don't know if they're doing all-star games. I don't think so, but at least like, get some kind of first half honor and then move up in the second half. But Westbrook, he's got to go. He's got to go soon. Yeah. I don't think there's a problem with keeping some of the college guys there at Delmarva because 
they have the alternate, you know, they have the alternate site time, time and instructs, but it's also been over a year since they last played in a real competitive game. Um, but I think now we're at the point with Westberg where you look at the way he's hitting, you want to see him tested against more advanced pitchers and you move him up. I don't know, you know, to Bob's point, I don't know quite how you make the room for him, but I think because of the fact that he's, you know, was your second pick in the draft last year, you're going to find a way to make a spot for him, even if you have to be creative a little bit with the players you have in Aberdeen. And like you're doing in Delmarva now, where you just move you know, players around the infield a little bit, maybe have some players DH that aren't really DHing right now, just to keep their bats in the lineup. Adam Hall played center field when I went on Thursday. So <laughs> there's there's room right there. And Yeah, I mean, is it – Doshbach is the first baseman at Aberdeen, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean – I like Doshbach. I like the power. We've talked about him before. We highlighted him. That was my guy that I picked out to highlight. But at the same time, if Westberg, you can't hold Westberg back. I do agree with that point. And so, and it does seem like he's going to play third base predominantly, which he looked, I, I made a point the last night's game to really watch his and Gunner's defense at shortstop and third base. And, and Westberg has had a couple of nice plays. He had one really great play last night. I think he can play third base pretty well. So I think Toby Welk is probably your predominant third baseman in Aberdeen, but maybe you move him over to, to first base maybe. Um, I think that works. If you're going to keep Westberg at third base, the path is a lot easier, and you're not, you don't, you're not forced to push out a Joey Ortiz or an Adam Hall at that point. Uh, you can still get all those guys into the lineup at the same time, where it might be a guy like Andrew Doshbach finds a little bit more of the bench, which if you're replacing him with Jordan Westberg, I'm okay with that. For sure. Yeah, and you know, we have heard a lot about Joey Ortiz maybe being, as far as the defense goes, the best prospect in this system or certainly one of the best if we're just looking at the glove. So I feel like to slide Westberg over to third and have Ortiz at short would be a really good way to test um, how the left side of the infield could look at the higher levels. Not necessarily talking about major leagues. I don't want to get too far ahead here. But if you want to figure out what's the left side of your infield going to look like at – Aberdeen, maybe even Bowie later this year. Having Ortiz and Westbrook there is a good snapshot. And, you know, Henderson, I don't, I would imagine that Westbrook would get promoted before Gunner. I, I agree with that. But if Henderson just continues to the opposite field bomb after opposite field bomb, it's going to be hard to keep him in Delmarva. I mean, he's doing things at Purdue Stadium that should not be possible. The way that that ballpark is and the way that the ball travels there, you should not be able to hit the ball out to left center field as a left-handed hitter the way he does. And yeah. He's only, <laughs> he's only 19. Like, that's it. He's only 19. He is only, he played a couple GCL games two years ago. So, I mean, I don't have any issues with keeping him down as well. And him, I feel like every single time we tweet out anything about Gunnar Henderson, someone responds, multiple people respond to every single tweet saying, well, can he play defense? Yes, he can play. He is a shortstop. He is Gunnar Henderson's shortstop. I'm not referencing him as a third baseman, a corner outfielder. He is a shortstop prospect, a very good one. Uh, but with that being said, he's 19, pretty inexperienced, and he does make a lot of routine plays uh, a little bit challenging, I think. So I think it, Michael I said that when looking at guys like Ryland Bannon and Jemai Jones, he wants to see their defense improved, reliable defense there before they get moved up to the major leagues. Bannon probably needs to show a lot more just reliable defense right now to get moved up to the major leagues. But same thing with Gunnar Henderson. Keep him at Delmarva for a little bit right now. Go ahead and move Westberg up. And guys at the top better start putting it together because these guys are coming. Yeah, you know, 
I wrote in my article this week down on the farm that uh, Gunnar Henderson, Adley Rutschman, Kyle Stowers, that's a pretty good top three picks in the 2019 draft potentially for the future of the Baltimore Orioles. I think Gunnar might go down as like the steal of that draft, getting him that late as we did. And yeah, he's special to watch. He's definitely just a phenom out there. Yeah, to Nick's point about the, the defense, based off of what I've seen so far, I think you at least stick with Henderson at shortstop for as long as you can. Um, and you see, you know, because he's only 19, you see as he fills out a little bit more whether or not you have to move him. But I don't know that I have ever seen a shortstop at the low A level who was a big leaguer that was young um, or who later became a big leaguer that was young at the time for low A and looked completely smooth at shortstop. Um, I remember Freddie Galvis really standing out to me when I saw him in low A. Um, and I just went back and looked that up. He was 18 in the South Atlantic League in 2008. And he was an excellent defensive shortstop, but he also hit 238 that year uh, with a 588 OPS. So there wasn't much with the bat there yet. Um, so with Henderson, I think you look at that and you realize that defensively, players are going to take a little while to come around. Enjoy what you can with the bat. And that arm is good. That, that's one thing I've really been impressed by with him is that I feel like he's kind of a guy that if he can get the footwork down on a ball, hit into the hole, he's going to have the arm strength to throw runners out that for other shortstops, that ball is a basic because the arm, the throws isn't going to get there. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, I like Freddie Galvis putting up Michael Franco 2021 Baltimore Orioles type numbers in uh, low A there. That was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Galvis was impressive with the glove then, but definitely uh, struggled with the bat a little bit. Uh, but obviously, we know how that turned out for him. He's doing okay now. He's doing all right. Yeah. Yeah, one one other area, if we're going to look at promotions, is probably catcher. Because I know that everyone's chomping at the bit to see Adley Rutzman in Norfolk. And I think we are going to see that at some point, especially with catching being a position at the major league level that is not really settled at all right now. And what I'm wondering for you guys is, based off of what you have seen so far, if we see Adley make that move to Norfolk, um, would you feel good with Maverick Hanley making the move to Double A and Jordan Cannon, who has been also a good start at Delmarva, making the move to High A? Yeah, I think that makes some sense. I mean, Jordan Cannon, I don't know how sustainable it is with the bat, what he's doing, but and he's not exactly for a guy named Cannon. I think he's allowing a ton of base runners to steal on him. So. Not sure what that's about, but I'm I'm okay with that. I think he was a college catcher. It's not like he would be in that low for a uh, in high A. So and Maverick Hanley, he's at least there defensively to be in Double A Bowie in a month or whenever it would be. So yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. There's pretty decent amount of catching talent at the lower levels of the minor leagues for the Orioles. So that's pretty cool to see. Yeah. No, I think. You know, if, if Adley gets moved up to AAA, now I like, first of all, Brett Cumberland needs to go ahead and he needs to be up in the major leagues as well. The guy is hitting just off the charts right now in Norfolk when he does it. 123 WRC plus, 362 on base percentage. The defense is what it is. He can go ahead and move up. But Maverick Hanley, he's got some major defensive plays already in high Aberdeen. Uh, and I think, was it last night? I think he ended the game uh, going and picking the ball up getting the guy over at third base to end the game uh, on a pickoff attempt. So, I mean, this is, this is a guy who defensively is probably could hold his own at triple a, uh, the bat is what it is. He's steals. He's got seven steals as well. So yeah, a lot of catching depth down on the farm for sure. I think these guys can hold their own. Jordan Cannon can, can hit pretty well. He's just, 
I don't think that production is going to stick as well, but he's got some pop in the bat and he's going to hold his own in the lower minors. So yeah, plenty of depth to move guys around when, when we want to start moving more of these guys up to the, the higher levels of the minor leagues. So a listener, Nick, brings up a topic that we did discuss a little bit last week. I feel like it's worth repeating. His comment to us is Mason McCoy needs to call up. Don't need Wilkerson and Vileka both up there, uh, by which meaning the major league roster. We talked a lot about how we've been impressed with McCoy's start, not just because he's hitting well, but he's moving all around the field. He's gotten some time in the outfield. He's seen time in the infield, which is his natural position. We have all loved his glove work um, on both sides of the second base going back to when this show started uh, at the beginning of 2020, and he was coming off that good 2019 season. Um, McCoy, yeah, I agree with Nick. You know, If we're going to look at someone who should get to move up to the majors to at least be that utility type, I think McCoy right now is playing his way ahead of Ryland Bannon, who's struggling a little bit, and then Jemai Jones, who is hurt. Yeah, absolutely. He's a guy... They can play plus defense at second, third, and short, or at least better than what you know we've been getting from our backup. Pat Valika, he can be optioned down, or maybe he can – I don't know. There's a way to work Mason McCoy onto this roster. Maybe he can platoon with Stevie Wilkerson at second base and get some time in there. It's not like he needs you know to be in the lineup every day. He's a guy that could carve out a role on the bench and play against lefties, I think. It should happen soon because if it doesn't happen soon, I don't know when it's going to happen. Yeah, and actually the other day they had Mason McCoy out there in left field, and he had a lot of balls that hit his way. He didn't really get challenged, but he made every routine play he had up there. Um, So they're moving him around the diamond. I think he played center field as well a game. They've got him at second. They have him at third a lot, uh, and he's hitting the ball pretty well. I mean, he's got a walk rate over 10%. He's hitting 288 with a 365 on base percentage against AAA pitching. And I know last year or 2019 and AA, he was kind of right around league average, maybe a little bit below league average. Uh, and so far he's holding his own against AAA pitching. And Norfolk's faced a lot of major league quality pitching. They faced Jacksonville in two series where they've got, they faced, you know, Nick Nider. They got, I think it was uh, Hernandez was on a rehab assignment from the Marlins. Um, that Jacksonville roster, specifically their pitching staff, was pretty loaded with major league talent. And I think a couple of these side hitters like McCoy held their own. Uh, and then they're facing Charlotte, same way. Charlotte's loaded with these kind of 4A guys, but with major league experience. And McCoy's hitting well, so I, there's really nothing else that he can do at this point, I think. Yeah, and I think the you know the Orioles really have had to kind of rely on sort of a patchwork of utility type players um, at second base and a little bit in the outfield because of some of the injuries they've had out there. And I feel like in that sense, McCoy would fit into sort of your short term plan where you know you have to get through this year with what you have. But then long term, you know, I think it's worth a shot to see can he stick around the major leagues in some role. You know, this is a guy who's twenty six, but. Six-round pick a few years ago, um, as I mentioned, had a very good season in 2019 where he seemed to come around the bat a little bit, topping out at Bowie. So I think that it would be the kind of move where you could stabilize the roster potentially a little bit at the major league level this year, but then figure out what do we have long-term in Mason McCoy, whereas I don't think you're evaluating Pat Vileka or Stevie Wilkerson in that context. Yeah, I'll say like this. I don't think he could do worse than Richie Martin did for you in 2019 at bare minimum. So, I mean, that's not nothing at short set. Yeah, I think also just going back to Norfolk roster, and we're talking all about promotions here. I mean, 
these aren't the sexiest names. I get it, uh, but nothing really about the Orioles is this year, so why not, right? Um, the pitching is just awful, uh, and that's being very nice. I don't, I don't think we can accurately describe what Orioles pitching looks like and, and remain a clean podcast, but um, there are some guys on Norfolk's roster that are, despite their really slow start, I get it. They are on a two-game winning streak, though. Um, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to shout out, be that homer, and shout out Spencer Watkins, a friend of the pod who threw six no-hit innings against the number one team in AAA uh, the other, on Sunday afternoon. He's pitching really well, 3.15 ERA, a 1.0 whip uh, through four starts. And they got two relievers down there, Marcos Duplan and Manny Beretta. I Combined, they've given up one earned run in 16 innings, 22 strikeouts, and two walks. Both of them, Beretta's the veteran. He's been in Mexico for the last few years. We don't have to get into the Cesar Valdez debates here. We can leave that on Twitter. Uh, Duplan is the younger arm who throws 96, 97 run hour gas with just an unbelievable curveball that freezes guys. I'd much rather watch these guys than any more Matt Harvey's or really anyone other than John. Sean Armstrong. Yeah, these guys, they can go. Um, there's at least intriguing arms for 2021 season down in Norfolk. Absolutely. And Spencer Watkins, he's going to give you innings. He's going to eat innings. He can't do even much worse than Matt Harvey. I wrote it in my three up, three down article. Him and Connor Wade have been doing enough in AAA for me to – Matt Harvey doesn't have it. Great on him for trying to change things up and give it one more go. Good on the Orioles for – he at least got us a month or two of, of, of production, quote-unquote. But uh, I think he just – he doesn't have it. It's time to call it quits on that experiment and bring up one of these guys. I'd prefer Watkins because he's our buddy. But uh, Connor Wade, like you said, all these guys that could at least provide what he's doing, what is the worst that could happen? We're the worst team in baseball. So <laughs> – and adding on to that, I know he looked good today against the Twins, but um, I agree with Chris Stoner, uh, the owner of Baltimore Sports and Life, his recent piece on the site uh, where he called for Jorge Lopez to be moved to the bullpen. That's something I've been wanting for a while. Um, Lopez, he's got good stuff. He just is not going to get through the lineup three times. It's obvious to me. And, uh, you know, I feel like once you have someone at Norfolk, that is pitching, you know, in the games and is keeping them competitive as a starter. And maybe it is Spencer Watkins, or maybe you hold out a little bit longer to see can Alexander Wells or Zach Walther put it together. Um, one of them has got to take Jorge Lopez's rotation spot. Absolutely. If you're going to keep Lopez, I agree he should be a reliever, but if you're going to keep him in the rotation, he needs to be a strict five and dive guy because he just cannot pitch past the fifth inning, period. I, I didn't watch today's game, but seeing him go out there and pitch as well as he did through five innings and then to roll him out there for a sixth inning, I think that's a whole podcast discussion on itself about uh, pitching management, but we'll, we'll leave that one there. Yeah, move him to the bullpen for sure because the stuff is just so nasty. Yeah, stuff is good. But So uh, Nick has a question here, one of our listeners. How does uh, Austin Wins compare to Brett Cumberland, who we just talked about a moment ago, as a defensive catcher? I would imagine Wins is the better defensive catcher, right, Nick? I think you would agree. But Cumberland, I think he has a decent arm, if I'm remembering correctly. He at least has a decent arm. But at this point, Cisco and Severino, they're not hitting. They're not fielding. They can't catch a damn ball. They're not throwing anybody out. So I don't care. Put uh, put Mason McCoy back there. It's not going to be any worse. So, yeah, Brett Cumberland would be my choice because he's hitting the ball. And he we had great reports out of him last year that we've talked about. But at this point, I'll take anyone. Nick Chufo with a broken hand. Bring it on. Let's go. 
Ryland Bannon is the emergency catcher. Don't forget. I'll take him in a heartbeat uh, behind the plate. Yeah, Wins is definitely the better defender. Cumberland's defense is not his calling card, but he does hit the ball well. He gets on base at a fantastic clip. Uh, and if you want to bring up Wins, sure, let's bring up Wins now. Um, he's the veteran guy, but honestly, even though I'm not a fan of Wins at all, I'm just going to come out and say it, uh, <laughs> I think he is good to keep down there in Norfolk to work with Lothar Wells and now Bradish. I think he's good to keep him down there. And let's go ahead and bring up Cumberland in that bat into the lineup and, and score some runs for the, this pitching staff. So and Nick, Nick has a follow-up question for us, which I want our Nick to be the first to answer, or maybe the last answer, because I know he feels very passionately about this. At what point do you move on from San Francisco? A month ago. <laughs> now. <laughs> Yeah, um, I don't know. You should have never brought him up to begin with. No, I mean, <laughs> there's so much promise. I mean, he was the guy in this system. And now, like I mentioned, he looks – he's so boring to watch. Uh, and he's just – I don't know. Just take him and Chris Davis, give him a vacation somewhere, and one-way ticket. Don't come back. Don't come back he, to Baltimore ever again. It's I can't. He just looks so lethargic out there. I mean, he may, at least Severino makes it look like he's having fun while he's playing. Cisco just looks like he's half asleep the whole time. Yeah, I, I think it was I think it was Matt Kremnitzer who tweeted this out, or I don't know who. Everybody tweets about Francisco when it comes out, but it might have been him specifically. He said, "Like, what does Francisco offer to this team?" Uh, and that's a great question. That the one word answer is absolutely nothing. That's two words, but that's fine. <laughs> Well, we're going to move on now to a new segment we're going to have each week on the show where we're going to profile, highlight someone who was outside of our top 30 uh, when we did it in January. And we're going to talk a little bit about what they were doing in the minor leagues and what has stood out uh, with them to us. Uh, we're going to do this each week. And then when the prospects list is updated, which will probably be sometime in July and August, or August, we'll reshuffle. And who knows, if you hear a player's name several times between now and then, Chances are they might be working their way into that top 30. So I'm going to start with Bob on this one. All right. So this week, uh, I, I have a couple I'm choosing from. I will go with Nick mentioned the undrafted free agents that are kind of clogging up the roster in a good way in Delmarva. They clearly are talented enough to perform at that level. Ryan Watson looked good last night. Um, J.D. Mundy, uh, big guy playing first base who is just absolutely killing the ball. I think he's hitting like 333. He's getting walks. He's got four doubles, four or five doubles and four home runs. He hit another one last night. I don't know what his ceiling is, but I know we like Andrew Dashback for his power, but it seems to me like Monday, Monday has maybe some better skills. I don't know, but uh, I'm enjoying – he's fun to watch play. He's, he's just like this, this big guy going up there and whacking the ball. You'd love to see it playing first base like a champ. That's my guy. I think, you know, if he if he can move up to Aberdeen and keep this up, then maybe he's a steal as an undrafted free agent. Yeah, he's he's walking more than he's striking out. Uh, I, I remember our colleague Stephen Loftus had wrote, a, wrote a piece on all these undrafted guys uh, right after most of them had signed. And he said J.D. Mundy was a true – uh, as you can get three true outcome guy, home run, strikeout, walk. That's all he does. And right now he's hitting, he's matching Gunnar Henderson's power to be totally honest. Uh, not saying at all that they're the same type of prospect, but he's matching that kind of power and not striking out a whole lot. Um, I'm going to go with old friend of Peralta. I think, um, 
first outing, I was scared because I think he hit the first battery face and then walked the next guy kind of up and down. But his last two outings, he's thrown four innings in each in each outing. Uh, only one earned run, only three walks and 14 strikeouts. He looks really good. Again, nasty hook, uh, fastball. He can run it up there into the upper 90s. I think he should be moved to the bullpen. I want to see him. I want to see Bowie put him in eighth inning with a runner on and a one run lead and see if he can hold that. Uh, but for right now, he's saying he's a starting pitcher and he's doing well as most of that Bowie staff is. And it's really nice to see Ophelki Peralta pitch well at double A. Yeah, I'm glad you chose him because he was my other choice. So, yeah, he's he's making me question my constant moving to the bullpen uh, <laughs> mantra with uh, the way he's been pitching lately. I love to see it. Somebody with the guy that we have talked about a little bit on this show and a guy that if you've listened to the past, you know that I'm pretty intrigued by, and that's Daryl Hernanese. Uh Two for five last night in Delmarva's big win over Lindsberg. Now, as Bob mentioned, um, a lot of the big names on Delmarva's lineup last night really didn't hit all that well, but so it was kind of the unsung guys that carried them a little bit. Hernaiz is kind of a, a guy that's on the bubble a little bit for me as whether or not he's going to be in this top 30. And there are some concerns. Uh, he's striking out quite a bit at Delmarva right now. He's got a walk rate that's down around 3%. But we're seeing the bat-to-ball skills there a little bit that we had heard a lot about um, as far as him having a good plate approach, having good contact skills. Um, you know, So two for five last night, and he's now had a hit in five straight games that he's appeared in. So Hernaiz may be picking it up with the bat a little bit. And I'll be interested to see if we talked about earlier, um, if Jordan Westberg and Gunnar Henderson do move up and Daryl Hernaiz takes a move over to uh, shortstop full-time at Delmarva, just what that glove looks like. But so far, not bad with the bat. Yeah, you know, I was watching him in particular, I think it was late last week, and he is so rail thin. Like, he can definitely add some some bulk to his frame and increase that power potential, but at least he's hitting for average. And the thing that's weird to me is I think at GCL in 2019, he was like walking at a really good rate. So I'm not sure exactly what's going on with his walk rate so far this year, but just, I can't imagine it's going to stay as low as 3%. He's not Ryan Mountcastle out there. He's, he's got to, got to do better job at that, but at least he's got the average right now. Yeah, it's, I mean, pick any of these middle infielders, and I'm intrigued. I loved watching them play all the way around. Um, and speaking of middle infielders, though, they remind me of Servideo, and the streak ended last night. So I just wanted to shout that out as well. I know we're hyping up, guys, outside of our top 30 right now. But speaking of her, now he's reminding me of Servideo. 15 straight games with a walk to begin his career. The streak is over, but what do you do? Get back on the horse and start another one. Yeah. And we'll see just how quickly Sir Video can start another one. So uh, if you head over to BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com, Bob, Nick, and I have all had pieces up in the last few days. We talked about Bob's Down on the Farm piece. was a weekly column that he does. That's a spinoff of his 3-up, three 3-down three uh, feature he's been doing for the site for a long time. Nick profiled Bowie's pitching staff, and I took a look at the rise of Kyle Bradis, which uh, was written before his start last night at AAA. In addition, our friend Dr. Stephen Loftus has an update on the 2021 draft. We're definitely planning to have Stephen back on at some point here soon to talk about the draft and how much things have changed, um, even just in the last month of the draft class. But definitely head over to the site and check out his latest piece. Um, in addition, continue to follow us on Twitter at BSL on the Verds. Uh, and we'll be back next week for Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. This is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to 